Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. Well, today, everybody, I'm going to predominantly speak on the tithe. Oh, thank you for that. Uh, (laughs) However, it's not a message about the tithe. This message is about financial devotion to God. And I'm going to endeavour to unpack uh, the tithe. And and I really want to encourage you, don't leave this message midway through. Because I believe that all of it together is going to be a really healthy, balanced package it's a bit like the movie Inception. If you, if you duck out to the bathroom in the middle, you come back and none of it makes sense. In fact, with that movie, you miss one minute and none of it makes sense. But I feel like this message will all make sense together. So I want to encourage you to lean in and engage. And I just believe uh, we're going to learn something from the Word of God this morning. And so here's my foundational scripture for today, just to help frame all of what I'm going to talk about. It's Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. And it's going to come up on the screen for us to read. And this is somebody asking Jesus a question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Very important passage of Scripture to our faith and and to where we are today as believers. And so what I've done is I've I've created a summary of some exciting biblical truths that with that passage and through these, we're going to get a nice filter for today's message. So screen number one is going to come up. These are some exciting biblical truths for you and I. God wants to bless you. God wants to bless what you have. God wants to bring purpose to you and what you have. God wants to free you from what you have. And God wants to be the first. God wants to be first in every area. Let's look at that screen now through the context of money. Let's look at screen number two. God wants to bring purpose to your money. Who's excited about that? God wants to free you from your money. Who's less excited about that? God wants to be first in your finances. And what I mean by that is to be fully devoted to God in your finances. So the tithe, what we're going to talk about today. Uh, I'm not sure how much uh, about it you know or what your experience has been uh, of it. But tithing is the, the biblical idea of giving a tenth of all your increase to God. The, the word tithe literally means tenth. And so I'm going to try and do some myth busting today some problem solving around the tithe because historically it's very misunderstood and historically it's been very abused. It's also been used to abuse people and that's been, you know, by the church, um, not, not our church, but the wider church historically and, and that's also been through individuals and, and through control, almost like cult-like practice, practices. So a couple of things. Tithing is not a membership fee to the church. Tithing is also not mandatory. Tithing, giving to God, should not be something that is done by force. Um, Unfortunately, historically, the church has done practices like that. 
But I just want to say very clearly, if you feel that way, that giving financially to the church or to God, that you have to do that, that you feel like it's mandatory, that it's a requirement of you to be here. um, Firstly, I'm so sorry that you feel that way. But secondly, I want to say, if you give because of that, we would prefer that you don't. As a pastor, as a church, and I believe God's Word speaks to this, that if you're giving because you feel like you have to, we would prefer that you don't. 2 Corinthians 9.7 says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Giving to God, everybody, is not a command. There are commands in Scripture where it says, do this, or this will happen, or do this, or this won't happen, in the sense of very top-level theological things. For example, if you don't forgive, your Father in Heaven can't forgive you. Giving is not in that category. Tithing is also not generosity. Um, There's been times where I've tithed to God, I've given a percentage to the Lord and I've felt like a generous person. The reality is it's not generosity, it's, it's purely worship and it's actually obedience. So some problems I hope to solve this morning. Um, I've got a problem screen to come up. These are problems that people can have with the concept of giving and tithing to God. Firstly, we can have a problem with percentage. Uh, we can have a problem with pressure a problem with priority and a problem with relevance. So is it an Old Testament principle? And so we're going to, well, I'm going to hope to unpack this for us this morning and take a great pressure off your shoulders and and release you to experience this God's way. So tithing means 10th. And now if you you talk to one another today or someone who's not a Christian and you reference something, I'm going to give a 10th of something to somebody, the, the word 10th or the amount that you're giving doesn't carry any significance per se. But in Old Testament times and to the Israelite people, the amount of a 10th carried great significance. And we're going to unpack that a little bit. And the first mention of this measure, someone receiving a tenth of something, is when Abram tithes to Melchizedek, who is in the book of Genesis, a priest and a king. And what we discover is that he is actually a theophany or a Christophany, which is an an appearance or a manifestation of God or Jesus. And the book of Hebrews, so New Testament now, in Hebrews, actually talks about Melchizedek, this Old Testament character. And today we're blessed because we get to get complete knowledge about him, whereas back in the day they didn't. Let's read some complete knowledge in the New Testament about this Old Testament character, which is going to help us understand New Testament truths about an Old Testament principle. Who's confused already? (laughs) Praise God. Let's read it. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. It's going to come up on the screen. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. What you've got to understand, everybody, is back in the day, if you called yourself king of righteousness, that would be blasphemous. So he, this is not deemed by him, this is deemed by God, affirmed by Scripture. Verse 3 says, with, this is talking of Melchizedek, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. So we know this character in the Old Testament in Genesis 14, he is not a man, he is a Christophany. He is in there to teach us about God and about Jesus. And let's read what Abraham did for him in Genesis 14 verse 18. 
I'll just say, if you are having a baby boy soon, just consider Melchizedek. It's a good name. (laughs) Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was a priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now again, us reading this today, we go, oh, that's nice, 10%. You would assume it's the amount that he could give without it affecting his life too much. You know, why didn't he give 9%? Why didn't he give 11%? It's because a tenth back then had significant meaning. This gift that he gave was not demanded. And many scholars believe that it was by revelation that Abram did that and gave him that amount. And here's why. 10 is the number of wholeness. And what that speaks to in Scripture is wanting nothing, lacking nothing. So when he gives him a tenth, he's saying, here is a tenth, wholeness, wanting nothing, lacking nothing, here is a gift. It's a gift that's not been demanded, but he chose to give it. Abraham chose to give it to Melchizedek, wanting nothing, lacking nothing. And what's so interesting is we see that gift of a tenth given there, and then a tenth is given throughout the Mosaic Covenant, so Hebrew Scriptures, it's all in the law of Moses, it's throughout minor prophets, major prophets. The Old Testament is packed full of people giving tenths of things to people, and it carries that significance, an undemanded gift, wanting nothing, lacking nothing. And the Old Testament builds this concept over many books and to, to help us land on the, the concept of tithing that we have today. And so we're going to look at some key passages together to help paint this picture for us. And the first is the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. And what happens here is this is Adam and Eve's sons and Cain kills Abel because both bring an offering to God. One is rejected, one is received. And this story is not about a tenth. They don't give a tenth to God. But Cain gives some of his crops to God and it's rejected. Abel brings a a gift which is the firstborn of his flock. And this is where we are introduced to this concept of first fruits, the best, a gift that I cannot get back. There's also some some assumption that we put into the text that, that God had already showed them that an offering to him needed to be of blood because when they were covered in their shame, God killed an animal and put the skins on them. So this time we get someone gives crops that they can grow again and it doesn't reference the the, the quality per se of the crops and then we have firstborn, the best of my flock given to God. Jacob then in Genesis 28, this is what it says about him in, in Genesis 28 verse 20, says then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. This is not a conversation that he's having with God. God's not asking him to give a tenth. This is something Jacob decides to do. Again, it's not demanded, wanting nothing, lacking nothing. Then we see with the Israelites in the book of Exodus that the Israelites were were told by God to tithe to the Levites and the Levites represent the ministers, the priests in their community. And then what's interesting is that the Levites, they tithe on the tithe. 
So what happens is, is every Israelite gives a 10% of all that they have to the Levites so that the Levites can minister and run the temple. And then it says that the Levites then tithe that 10%. So they receive 10%, that 10% turns into 10%. Where does that 10% go? It goes back to the temple, to the Levites. So it's almost the picture of a pastor tithing in 2023, which is like, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, it doesn't if they're giving to themselves, but it does make sense if they're giving to God, which is what this is all about. So let's read Deuteronomy 14, verse 22. It says, Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. There it is again, firstborn. And flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place He will choose as a dwelling for His name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. But if that place is too distant and you've been blessed by, by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Your tithe's so big you can't carry it uh, because, the, <laughs> because the place where the Lord will choose to put His name is so far away. Then exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine or other fermented drink, kombucha or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. Verse 27, do not neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. These are the priests and the ministers. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns, so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, this is really driving it into the Levites. Imagine them reading this like, yes, we know, no inheritance, no allotment. And the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied. And so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Here we get a very clear picture. God's people asked to tithe. And where does it go? It goes to the Levites, the ministers, the priests. Then it goes to the widows, the orphan and the needy. Proverbs 3 verse 9 to 10. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now we can read all of this and as the Bible begins to paint a clearer and clearer picture of offerings and tithes to the Lord, we can say that's Old Testament. What relevance does that have for us today under a new covenant? And certainly it does get confusing because there's scriptures in Old Testament law about not eating shellfish. There's also scriptures about not getting tattoos. And sometimes we get confused about this and we like to pick and choose which scriptures we still hold to from the Old Testament and which ones we get rid of. And usually people that have issue with Christians having tattoos have never read any of the neighbouring verses because someone will say, hey, Christians shouldn't get tattoos. It's in the Old Testament. And I'll say, have you eaten seafood lately? Have you been to Kalis Brothers and had some lobster? Well, yes, I did. Well, you need to read the Old Testament again. <laughs> And often people that have issues with Christians getting tattoos, they usually have a shaved beard. And I say, well, the next scripture says, don't shave your face. If you use Gillette, you're in the same boat as the tattoo people you're trying to have a go at. Now, we've got to do a bit of a dance as believers with the Old Testament, and I'm going to hopefully try and unpack it. But what we've got to make abundantly clear, everybody, is that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law in the sense of getting rid of all of the Old Testament. There's a dangerous view going through the church, especially in America, of just doing away with the Old Testament. It's very dangerous. But Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but He came to fulfil it. And if you don't believe me, let's see what Jesus said about it in a chapter called The Fulfilment of the Law. <laughs> Matthew 5 verse 17. 
Do not think that I've come to abolish the law. There you go. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So again, this is, don't go to the bathroom. We need all of this. This is important. Tithing predates the law. It's in the law. It's encouraged by Christ and then exceeded by the early church. So I'll just say that again. Tithing predates the law. It's in the law. It's encouraged by Christ and then it's exceeded by the early church. With Old Testament law, there is certainly some irrelevance to the content, but not to the principles. For example, not eating shellfish. The relevance of that content for us today is not there, but the principle is. And that specific one about shellfish, just in case you're stressing out and you had a booking at Clancy's Fish Pub later, don't stress. Because what we get in the New Testament is Peter has a vision where all these animals are there and the Spirit of God says, rise up and eat. And what we learn from the New Testament is that man's not defiled by what goes in them, but what comes out them. And so in the Old Testament, it was, I need to not defile myself and make myself clean so I can approach God. But now we've been made clean by Christ and you can go to a seafood buffet. Can someone say, praise God? <laughs> but with Old Testament law, everybody, Jesus brought new understanding right understanding. He brought new revelation and right heart to all of the teachings of the Old Testament. New covenant revelation brings new meaning and implications to the Old Testament. It actually, I think, turns up the, the heat on the New Testament having the Old Testament. Okay, Matthew 23, verse 23. This is Jesus speaking to the religious leaders. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And listen to this, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So again, he is saying that you should not neglect tithing, but don't forgo the more important things. The priests tithed, and of course they did because they were under Mosaic law. They believed that the only way they could be in relationship with God was by their obedience to the Scripture. But Jesus comes and he says, hey, you should tithe, but he corrects priority. Christ gets to the heart and he doesn't abolish that. He actually encourages it. And there's many other examples of Jesus doing that. Let's look at a couple. Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery in your heart. So is that abolishing the law? No, that's actually making it even a higher standard. So Old Testament adultery was don't sleep with someone who is married. New Testament standard is if, hey, if you look at someone with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. So when we say, hey, Jesus has abolished the law, don't worry about any of it. If anything, he's made it a higher standard. <laughs> Old Testament, Jesus says, says an eye for an eye. But I say, if you get struck on the face, turn the other cheek. He says, the Old Testament says, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus would get to the heart of what the Old Testament law was saying. New revelation for you and I to understand and engage with. Yeah. 
And he does that with the tithe there with the Pharisees. What we've got to understand, everybody, is for the New Testament church, when Jesus ascended to heaven and the birth of the church began, it had a cultural backdrop of tithing. Everybody that was a part of that church would have understand what giving a tenth to God meant. And what's so interesting is that they all eventually gave more than 10%. So Acts 4 verse 32 says this, All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and was distributed to anyone who had need. They absolutely exceeded the tithe. Um, Nathan Finocchio, who's a really cheeky pastor in America, in a podcast he was talking about this and he said, people who cite the book of Acts for not believing in tithing don't give more than 10%. So when people say, I don't believe in giving 10% to God because look at the church of Acts. He's making fun of those people saying they never give more than 10% because that's what the Acts church is trying to teach us, that the tithe gets exceeded big time. You know, in total devotion to God in all areas, I think 10% is a really good place to start in your heart. And thank God, we could be talking about today, not a 10th, but a 15th, which is 50% of everything you have to go to God. But for a God that's given us everything, I think 10%'s not bad. But even worse for you and I, let's be inspired by the woman with the copper coins. Jesus watches her make an offering. She puts two coins in the offering at the church and we find out later she had 18 more, so she was just tithing. That's not true. It says that was everything she had. We can look at that and go, she had 18 more, it's just a tithe. She gave everything. The New Testament exceeds what the Old Testament shows us. We can declare God have every part of me, but what about 10% of our money as a start? (laughs) All right, deep breath. Don't go to the bathroom. This is where this becomes a problem. Legalism in the church takes a beautiful concept, a gift to us and breaks it. Because we can have ridiculous conversations about you need to tithe pre-tax, post-tax, on the gross, on the net. And I find that the people that get the most passionate about that are out of control in other areas. They're getting up in someone's grill about how they're tithing 9.8%, not 10, but then they're really angry at their kids. They're yelling at their spouse. Their neighbour thinks they're horrible. Alcohol's got a hold of them. I think Jesus wants to come in the midst of that and say, forget all of that. I want to look at your heart. It's your heart that matters. What we need to not do, everybody, is get precious on the numbers. What we need to get precious about is our devotion to God. And the reality is... You might regret clapping for that when I say, the reality is we should always want to give more. In total... (laughs) Come on. Don't get precious about the numbers. Get precious about your full devotion to God in every area of your life, including your finances. We should always desire to give more. Holistic devotion to God is so important. If you're tithing 10% legalistically, but you're out of control in other areas, God wants to help you set that right. But as Jesus said, don't neglect the finances. Tithers are builders. When a church is full of tithers, you can build something great. God is building His church, but He partners with His people. 
And tithers are people who are planted, who say, we are home. This is our home. Um, Pastor David Campbell, he's, he's an awesome man of God. He said, a Christian's prosperity is not measured in how much he has, but how much he gives. And I was reading something about the, the correlation between finances and sex and how people approach it. And certainly believers that we can approach finance as either God, that finances is God. It leads my life. It's what dictates how I feel. It, it changes my plans. It's either God, it's either gross, which is money is evil, or it's good. And it's like that with sex too. And, and Pastor Luke's going to unpack that in a different message, which is that we either treat sex as God, as gross, or the way God intended it, as good. But money is like that. Money is not evil, but the love of money produces all sorts of evil. Money can be good. And God doesn't want you to give into poverty. And I'm not saying give into poverty, but doesn't want you to give in such a way that you land in poverty. Because if we obey the Word of God, some of the simple principles about finance found in the Scripture, you won't ever be in that position. There's lots of low-hanging fruit Scriptures about financial stewardship that will set you up to flourish and also to be able to give. Just a couple. If you just do these couple, I'm telling you, you'll be in some good financial positions. Number one, live within your means is what the Bible tells us about seven different ways. Let no debt remain outstanding. That's what the Bible teaches. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Seek counsel. One of the translations says, if you're going for a $40,000 loan on a car, get counsel. (laughs) But just in the area of finance, if you do those simple things in the Word of God, you won't be in a position where you say, I can't give because I'll go into poverty. We don't just want to take one biblical principle and say, I can't. Look at the whole picture. What's God saying about finance? How can it set me up to not be just blessed, but be a blessing? Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. The measure of a good man is that you set up your family financially. And it doesn't, I'm not saying that to put pressure on you to have the, the beachside Hillary's house to give to your grandchildren. If you can do that, praise the Lord. In fact, get me one. But if you can do that, awesome. But what it's encouraging us as believers is to steward your finances in such a way that you're not a burden on the generations to come. You're a blessing. 1 Timothy 5 verse 8 says, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This is New Testament. Someone's just ringing to complain about that scripture. (laughs) This is New Testament, this scripture. Let me read it again. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The Word of God, if we apply the principles around finance, it helps us create stability and generational blessing. The Bible will set your family up for generational blessing in many areas, but certainly in financial. And the great news about tithing, if you, if you stick to the 10%, is you're left with 90%. And it's a blessed 90%. And you, you can't tithe into abject poverty. And uh, before you send me any emails, I just want to encourage you, don't operate in hypotheticals. As in, well, what if God asks me to give it all? Well, I'd say cross that bridge when you get to it and get some wise counsel. Because is that God telling you to do that or is that Barbara on Facebook telling you to put your money where your mouth is and sell everything? If God's not asked you to abandon everything and live destitute in Morocco serving the poor, then be wise here in Perth and apply the Scripture. 
And in all of this, remember that you cannot outgive God. God has given us everything. God gave everything. So a natural response should be, God, have everything. I haven't cracked any jokes yet, so here's a good one. Not tithing, not giving to your local church as a born-again believer is like not saying well done to your wife when she's just delivered your child. Because it's the least you could do. She deserves far more. And why would you not want to? I'll just say it again. (laughs) Not tithing, not giving to your local church as a born again believer is like not saying well done to your wife when she's just delivered your child. It's the least you could do. She deserves way more. And why would you not want to? That is just a joke, by the way. That's not a scripture. So don't read into it too much. Giving to God in any form is a response to the blessings you've received in areas you can't see. Uh, Malachi 3 verse 8 to 12, uh, actually 6 to 12 says, I the Lord do not change, so you the descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord God Almighty. Verse 12, then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now, everybody, this is really important. This is an Old Testament scripture. This is a Mosaic covenant. This is not the new covenant with Jesus. So if you don't tithe, you're not under a curse, just to let you know. And verse 11 is in the King James is that classic scripture, which is, I will rebuke the devourer, which many people read into it is, if I tithe, the devil will be rebuked in my life. The original language has no suggestion that that is the case. So I don't want you trembling in your boots thinking, I haven't been tithing, the devourer is not being rebuked and I'm under a curse. Just take a deep breath. If you're a born again believer, we're under the blood. And so what does this scripture mean for us today? It's talking about the principle of returning to God through the tithe. Now, because of Jesus Christ, no matter what we've done, by faith in Him, we can return to God. I can approach God again because of Jesus Christ. But what about my heart? What about my heart returning to God? Well, our heart returns to God in large part through finance. And we know that from Matthew 6, verse 19, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You know, everybody, your money takes your heart for a walk. If you just try and picture your heart on a leash and cash is holding it. 
or, or a credit card or your bank balance. Where that money goes, will, your heart will go with it. And you'll find it in your thoughts, in your desires, in your dreams, in your prayers. Where your heart's been taken will come up. Because often our biggest worries are about things that aren't of God, aren't God. Our biggest desires don't include God. Our dreams don't include God. We're not thinking about the church. We're not thinking about the things of God. It's potentially because your money's taken your heart for a walk to somewhere that you didn't want it to go. A tither is indicative of someone who gives Christ authority in all areas. Because if you wrestle with the idea of giving regularly and faithfully to God, I guarantee you, you're wrestling with unsurrender somewhere else in your life too. So when Malachi says to return to me, it's not in literal relationship because that's through Christ. But returning to God in right place and in devotion, your finance plays a big part. Is your finance taking your heart for a walk into the things of God and into the kingdom? Or is it taking it into hobbies and passions and interests and things that you don't actually want to be leading your life or to be Lord of your life, but your finance is taking you a walk there? For, for those of you here this morning that already give regularly and, and faithfully, I would love to just say a really big thank you. And I'd love it if, can we just give a round of applause to everyone that's giving regularly and faithfully? I know you don't want the applause and I actually know you don't deserve it, but I think it's nice to do it because we so appreciate you. And for those that haven't begun yet to regularly and faithfully give to God, I just believe what the Word of God says, that there are incredible things on the other side of you doing that, not because of your money, but because of your heart. It's indicative of your devotion to God. And what's so cool is we haven't even talked this morning about what your money achieves when you give it to God and give it to God's house. And that's another message again for Pastor Luke when he does the sex message. He's going to just roll it all in together. At chapel, maybe it could be a good place to do that. <laughs> but as we close, let's revisit our screens, everyone. Our first one. So God wants to bless you. God wants to bless what you have. God wants to bring purpose to you and what you have. God wants to free you from what you have. And God wants to be first in every area. And let's look at it through the context of money. Screen two. God wants to bring purpose to your money. God wants to free you from your money and God wants to be first in your finances. I've talked about tithing, but the message is not about tithing. It's about financial devotion to God. And God has given us everything. We cannot outgive God. And the least we can do as believers, like saying thank you to your wife when she's delivered your child. It's the least you could do. God deserves way more. And why would you not want to? when God's done so much for you and I. So we're going to close in just a minute. And normally we close with a, with a prayer, but we're going to close with an offering today. No, I'm just kidding. We're not really. Because <laughs> today's message, guys, is not to stir you for a moment. I hope it stirs you for a lifestyle change. I hope today just encouraged you for a thinking change around finances and around the tithe. Maybe there's some people and some legalism, some religion needs to be broken off today. Maybe just some of that, that purpose behind it needs to be awakened today. I hope it's done something for you to bless you. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us. And special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus, both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend 
a workmate, a family member, and let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.